Equine health is our business, horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. All right. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Pound Equine Services. I'm one of your hosts, Karen Powell. And I'm Dr. Kyle Goldie. Thank you so much for joining us today. We apologize for the delay since our, our last episode, but I, I assure you we have a great episode in store today. We'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Sarah Shaw. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Sarah is an incredibly valuable person in the Ontario equine veterinary community. Sarah has a, a very uh, special role. And not only is she an ambulatory veterinarian, she's also a, an equine internal medicine specialist, which is a real bonus to all of us that practice in the area. Dr. Shaw, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I graduated from the Ontario Vet College in 2010, and I did a year of just mixed animal, large animal practice. And that was out in Port Perry. And then I went and did an internship followed by a residency down in Florida and then Texas. And I spent about three and a half years in Texas uh, specializing in large animal internal medicine with a focus on equine internal medicine. So that's given me a lot of added skills and knowledge. And sometimes that knowledge is a knowledge to know how little we know. But the good news is that I've been exposed to a lot of different, very interesting cases over the years. And that's uh, really helped me provide some additional services up here in Southern Ontario. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I know that you're a very valuable resource for us to be able to call upon because as an internal medicine specialist, you have uh, a lot of those skills that we would otherwise have to send a horse to the Ontario Veterinary College for or, or whatever. So you're so great in being able to fill that gap. We appreciate it uh, immensely. Thank you. And part of what I do is do a lot of gastrointestinal, respiratory, and neonatology type work. And one of the big things that I do is scoping. So a lot of people, maybe some of your clients who are listening right now have actually met me at some point, I'm scoping their horse's stomachs or some kind of lower airway scope or something like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The diagnostic services you're able to provide are, are so valuable. It's amazing. And yeah, if, if our clients haven't uh, had the pleasure to meet you, I'm, uh, I hope that they will in the future because yes, it's just great to be able to access those skills in the ambulatory setting. Karen, do you want to introduce our topic for today? Yes, we would really like to talk to you, Sarah, about equine gastric ulcers, because as you said, you come to do a lot of scoping. We've seen you around doing that. So we'd really like to get more information for our clients and listeners about that. So Sarah, we've, uh, we've compiled some questions for you. Great. Yeah, you can talk about them as, as little or as, as uh, much as you want. And if you have any additional things that we may have overlooked, we'd love to hear about it because you, know, you have done so much uh, gastroscopy and everything like that. I'm sure you've learned a lot over the years and I'm sure you have a lot of your own insight. Yeah, why don't you tell us about equine stomach anatomy? Yeah, so the equine stomach is unique or fairly unique because they have something called a compound stomach. So the compound stomach in the horse is actually divided into two portions, an upper and a lower portion. And they actually have different mucosa. So the upper portion is squamous mucosa, and the lower portion is glandular mucosa. And the squamous mucosa is much like our esophagus. And so it basically doesn't produce any mucus and doesn't produce any defensive mechanisms like bicarb or anything. And it also doesn't produce acid. It's just there. 
And it's interesting that the ulcers that we see in that part of the stomach are somewhat similar to the ulcers people get with gastroesophageal reflux disease. So that splashing of acid in that top portion of the stomach is a lot like acid reflux in humans. And then the lower portion of the stomach, the glandular portion, is the portion that produces acid, stomach acid, and also produces bicarb and mucus. So even though it's always producing acid, it also has a protective layer so that it's not being burned or exposed directly to the acid. So that's more like our stomach, our glandular stomach. So ulcers that occur there would be similar to peptic ulcers in humans. So that's the interesting thing about the anatomy in in horses. Very good. Thanks, Sarah. So one question comes up. So we've got these two different uh, distinct regions of the stomach. And the area that is covered by squamous epithelium, that sort of non-protected region, does it serve any function or is it just unfortunate? Yeah, that's a great question. It does serve like a space, right? Normally when horses are eating and they have a mat of hay or uh, grass sitting on top of their uh, of their stomach fluids and acids, that squamous mucosa can accommodate the extra uh, volume, let's say. So they can eat a fairly large amount and their stomach has room for that. It's when that stomach acid is directly splashing, that's the problem. But if they have enough feed and hay and fiber sitting on top of the fluid, that shouldn't be an issue. So I think it's more just a a space. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. You brought up a good point in uh, when you're talking about kind of management of horses in terms of what kind of makes them predisposed. So could you talk a little bit about how management predisposes horses to ulcers and how um, does it affect their normal physiology? Yeah. Horses are grazing animals, as probably everyone who's listening to this knows. So they are typically eating constantly. And that is the case in their evolution, but not the case in how we manage horses in modern day situations. Most horses would not be eating 24-7 because they are being exercised or they don't always have hay in front of them or they don't always have grass in front of them. And the reason this is important is because horses' stomachs continuously secrete acid, whereas ourselves and other monogastrics like dogs and cats secrete acid in anticipation of a meal. So when you smell something and you're hungry, you smell something really good and then you feel your stomach, you're secreting acid at that time. Horses don't do that. They always secrete acid and they have actually a very low pH in their stomach where it sits around two. So if we're not feeding them constantly, then we get into a situation where there's just acid being produced and there's no saliva being and chewing happening and no hay going in there. And so there's less buffering action. That, that saliva in their mouth contains bicarb and that will help buffer the acidity in the stomach. And that's why we think, especially when we talk about the squamous ulcers, that's why we think horses are predisposed to them because that acid is just sitting there with no food and splashing up against that squamous mucosa. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's amazing how we overlook how complex this relationship is, yet it's dependent on such simple things. Like realistically, all horses need to do is chew on a regular basis. And that is in theory enough to buffer all of this acid that they're producing. It seems so simple in its design, but uh, yeah, from a management perspective, it's difficult to do for all that we expect of our horses. Exactly. All right. What are some of the clinical signs that people can associate with equine gastric ulcer syndrome? Yeah, that's a great question. I would 
probably start by saying there are probably no typical clinical signs. And I think that's been a huge learning curve for me when I'm scoping so many horses is that every horse has a different history that comes to me for the most part. And it varies widely. Kind of think of gastric ulcers as horses that are poor doers. They have a bad hair coat. They don't eat well. Maybe they get a little bit uncomfortable after, right after eating. They've maybe they've lost weight. They've lost top line. That's our poster child. And, and that went hand in hand a lot with our racehorses. They just don't look that good. They don't feel that good. Maybe the racehorses show some poor performance. But we've now seen some changes in our thinking and in that categorization of these horses are probably have ulcers because we've introduced another population of sport horses that are different. And those horses may have much more subtle signs. They may just have some performance issue, like they don't want to collect or they're upset about the leg being on them, or they just stop. They'll just stop in the middle of the ring when they're mid-riding. I've heard all sorts of interesting signs. I would say gastric ulcers are typically not correlated with horses with diarrhea, even though some people think that's linked in foals, but not in adult horses. So that would be not something I would link. And chronic colickers typically don't have ulcers, but that's not completely ruled out. I do consider scoping the stomach of a horse that's colicked more than once as a rule out or a horse that after it colics, it doesn't want to eat again. So that would be strange. And then we would scope them. We'd recommend scoping for that. But pretty much anything that you think is not normal behavior in your horse could reflect something going on in their stomach. Fair enough. Yeah, it really raises the point that if you have any suspicion that really what it comes down to is knowing the the natural, the normal behavior, the normal way of going of your horse. And I, I find so many of our clients are, are very attuned to their horses and, and are very perceptive. And it infor- reinforces the point that if you do see something that's abnormal, there may be an explanation for it and it's worth looking into further. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the caveat to that is that sometimes when people get a new horse, they aren't really sure if that behavior is normal or not. And sometimes they have to have to have a scope done just to rule out that behavior is normal for that horse or not. If there's a change in behavior, that's significant. Or if there's some abnormal behavior that you don't think the horse should do, that would be significant. Another point that comes up, and I think it's controversial, and I hope you can set the record straight, but the idea that, oh, such and such horse has such and such change on the blood work, therefore it has gastric ulcers. For example, oh, the bilirubin's high, oh, it must have gastric ulcers, or oh, the RBCs are low, it must have gastric ulcers, that type of thing. So I just wonder if you could comment on that. And Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. Blood work does not really have any consistent changes that are diagnostic of equine gastric ulcers. So the gold standard of diagnosis of gastric ulcers in horses is gastroscopy, scoping them because you can see yes, they do or no, they do not. Now, there have been, like you said, a number of things proposed and a large number of things looked at to see if there's any other way that's easier, quicker, just grabbing blood rather than going through the process of a slightly more expensive process of scoping the horse. And so people have looked at that. They looked at, are the horses anemic? Do they have low red cell counts? No, definitely not consistently. The horses would have to have horrific ulcers for that. You mentioned bilirubin, which can be a breakdown product of red blood cells. Very uncommonly do I see an elevated bilirubin associated with gastric ulcers. And the other thing is that horses can have an elevated bilirubin just from not eating very well. And that's because they don't have a gallbladder. They're producing that bilirubin and they will continue to produce it even if they're not eating well. 
And so they'll have an elevated bilirubin. And if they have horrible ulcers and they're not eating, they will have a high bilirubin, but it's not a causative relationship. And then just in case anybody's wondering, they did do a study looking at SAA, which is serum amyloid A, a marker of inflammation. And you would think horses with gastric ulcers would have high inflammation values. They don't. So there was no correlation between degree of gastric ulcers and an elevation in serum amyloid A. So that was very interesting. That study was just done in 2020. And then they have looked at different markers in blood work, and this is more on a research basis. Uh, There was a recent study uh, also done, it was out of Saudi Arabia and Egypt, and they looked for all sorts of markers of gastric digestion and different products of that, and they weren't helpful. The one thing they did see was that horses with gastric ulcers seem to have an elevation in markers of oxidative stress. So that is damage to the tissues. That is not available on a stall side basis, but it may be something that's helpful in the future if you're trying to get have a screening tool before you decide whether to scope a horse, do they have an increase um, in their markers of oxidative stress? So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, that's great to know uh, what may be on the on the horizon. And thanks for setting the record straight about the blood work things because yeah, it's just it gets frustrating after a while. I'm sure you've you've been there too. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you work within, like, I'm sure, Kyle, you talk to lots of racehorse trainers, and there's a lot of different things that they think may indicate ulcers. I've heard low platelets. There's no association sure. with that. I've heard elevated GGT being associated with gastric ulcers with the thought that maybe there's some extension of ulceration into the first part of the small intestine or some adjacent inflammation, and then the basically the bile duct empties into the first portion of the small intestine, the duodenum. And maybe that's causing some ascending inflammation to the liver, which then elevates GGT. It's a stretch. Sure. You can scope them and find out for sure. But I would say there's no really causative relationship there either. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. One other diagnostic test that came to mind, and I feel like it's fallen out of favor now, but uh, might still be on people's radar. Were people ever using fecal occult blood to look for equine gastric ulcers, or is that uh, was that really only being used for a hindgut ulcer? That, I think, was marketed by a company that produced Succeed, or that still produced Succeed. And there was, interestingly, a study done by Pellegrini, and they looked at that, and they actually did post-mortem studies. So they, looked, they were able to look at the colon and look at the uh, stomach, and they found that it had a low sensitivity, so it didn't pick up on a lot of the cases, but the ones that had a fecal occult blood test and did not have gastric ulcers very likely had colonic ulcers. If you had a horse that you couldn't figure out and you scoped the stomach and they didn't have ulcers and then they were positive on a fecal occult blood test, that might be helpful. In that study, it was. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. But there's never been a link between fecal, sorry, and for our our audience, fecal occult blood means blood that you can't actually see in the manure, but can be detected on on a test. So it's uh, occult just means hidden. So it's fecal blood that you can't actually see as opposed to frank blood that, that might be a pile of manure with blood on it. That would be obviously cause for concern. So there hasn't ever been observed a a link between equine gastric ulcers and fecal occult blood? Correct. Okay. Very good to know. Okay, great. So we were talking about scoping before as the diagnostic for this. How do you find that the scope findings correlate with clinical signs that we had talked about previously? 
Great question. The short answer is they don't, but they can. And that's part of the puzzle. I think that's where things get more complicated. And what I do is that it's, it sounds easy. Oh, we scope the horse, see if it has ulcers or does it. And then we treat them if they have ulcers or we don't. Horses with squamous ulcers, so those upper ulcers, those horses, their signs correlate with like the presence of ulcers pretty well, but the severity and the severity of clinical signs doesn't correlate. So the horses that have horrible squamous ulcers, they, some of them won't be as bad as the horses that have more mild ones. And it's just probably an individual uh, expression of the horse. Some of them are really sensitive, some are not. So they do will show signs pretty routinely if they have bad squamous ulcers, but they don't always show them consistently with the severity. Now, glandular ulcers are totally different kettle of fish. One of the worst sets of glandular ulcers I've ever seen in my career was in a dressage horse that was just the only clinical sign was that she was a bit strong under saddle. That was the only thing. And she had the most horrendous bleeding glandular ulcers all surrounding the outflow track of her stomach. And it they were horrible. I don't think they correlate well. And our glandular ulcers are definitely confusing because they often never heal to look like the tissue would without the presence of any ulcers. So there'll still be a raised portion. There'll still be an area that doesn't look normal, even though the overlying mucosa is healed. We have to be careful not to overdiagnose some changes in the glandular mucosa, but I feel that treating the squamous mucosa is well understood. It's the glandular ulcers. I think we have a hard time deciding if those clinical signs are correlated with a change in that glandular mucosa. Hmm. Complicated. Yeah. I know. I just was yeah. like, okay, this is a lot to take in. And yeah. It's, I think it, what you're saying also is like no two cases are the same. There's a, it's a very complicated matter in every horse is different and each case seems like it's different. I think that the diagnosis of equine gastric ulcer syndrome, so EGUS, is evolving because 15 years ago, we only had shorter scopes. We only had scopes that were about two or maybe 2.5 meters and they didn't get to the glandular, the lower portion and the outflow track of the stomach. They were scoping horses, but only really seeing the squamous mucosa. And we got really good at diagnosing those ulcers, really good at treating them, which we'll talk about, I think. And then we thought we knew what was going on. And then we got longer gastroscopes that were three meters or 3.5 meters. And we can see the outflow track of the stomach now. And we've brought in a whole different world of how do we treat these? How significant are they? And you know, which ones we treat and for how long. There probably was a time when the, the scopes just flat out were long enough that we didn't even really know that the glandular ulcers existed. Is that right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah, it must have been unsettling when you think, oh, boy, we've really got this uh, gastric ulcer thing sorted out. But then you start to see cases that just don't seem to be getting better. Yeah. I had a mentor that years ago said, if they don't have any ulcers in the top portion, no, you're probably not going to see anything in the lower. And I would say that's not the case. We have to look at the whole stomach to get a, a complete picture of what's going on. Gotcha. Sarah, how are ulcers treated and how does the treatment of the squamous ulcer, ulcers versus the glandular ulcers differ? Yeah, great question. So the we'll start with squamous ulcers. So the cornerstone of treating squamous ulcers is increasing the pH of the stomach. So reducing the acid production, raising that pH. And that is best done using a class of drugs called proton pump inhibitors. Um, the active ingredient we use most in horses is omeprazole. And the only approved product in Canada for that is Gastrogard. So that is the cornerstone of treating squamous ulcers. 
And there are some additional things we can do. We can treat them also with a product called sucralfate, which is a coating agent. Some people call it a biological Band-Aid. So it sticks to those ulcers, protects them, and helps them heal so that they're not being constantly splashed with acid. Also makes a horse much more comfortable pretty much immediately. So I often help that helps with their clinical signs. So that's how we treat squamous ulcers. There uh, is evidence now that as little as a quarter of a tube, quarter of the dose of Gastrogard is enough to heal uh, squamous ulcers. So one milligram per kilogram versus the full tube, which is four milligrams per kilogram. And uh, that was studied in racehorses and it only worked if they were fed on an empty stomach. You could get away with lower doses of Gastrogard. Let me just interrupt for a second here, Sarah. Yeah. How do you make sure a horse has an empty stomach? Yeah, that's a great question. We don't know, but we think that most horses, they just don't really eat much in the early hours of the morning. So we figure that first thing in the morning is when they're emptiest, especially if they're in a stall and you know that you can give them enough hay to get them through till one in the morning or two in the morning, and then they don't have any more, then they're pretty empty. And then we give it to them and then we wait an hour before we feed them. And that's how we would give it on an empty stomach and not have food interfering. And I should point out the reason that's important is because Gastrogard or the product Omeprazole actually has to be absorbed in the small intestine where it has an effect on the pumps that produce acid, produce hydrogen. And that is how it it raises the pH of the stomach. It's not working actively in the stomach. Products like ranitidine marketed under Zantac, that product works in the stomach directly, but you won't get that when you give Gastrogard. And again, Gastrogard is the only approved product for treatment of squamous ulcers. So it is what I recommend. Very good. I, I interrupted you earlier there, Sarah. So you were, we were talking about Gastrogard and the how, and sucralfate and how we could decrease the dose of omeprazole by feeding on an empty stomach. So I'll let you continue from there. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. So I'll just use that and I'll transition now to glandular ulcers because they are different. So The problem with glandular ulcers is we don't understand what causes them, whereas we understand that the squamous ulcers are caused by acid splashing and we just need to raise the pH and we can fix that. With glandular ulcers, we don't understand why the mechanism in the lower portion of the stomach that is naturally meant to protect that mucosa, that bicarbon mucus layer, why it doesn't work enough to protect it um, and why they get those ulcers in the lower portion of their stomach that's always being exposed to acid. So we do use Gastrogard. We do, we do want to raise the pH. We also use sucralfate as a coating agent. And there has been some recent work, not in huge numbers of horses, but recent work done on a product called mesoprostol. And mesoprostol is called a prostaglandin analog. Basically, it causes a secretion of beneficial hormones so that the horses are getting extra blood flow to the lower portion of the stomach which will help them heal and will also increase the production of mucus and bicarb, those defenses, to protect against the acid and the injury to the lower portion of the stomach. So those are kind of the three main pharmaceuticals that we use to treat glandular ulcers in different combinations, depending on the horse. And then we uh, also, in addition, can use corn oil, which has been shown to increase the production of those good hormones in the lower portion of the stomach. So It's a lot of things that we treat with, and certainly no case is the same, and we discuss this with the owners. And again, it's important to recognize that with the lower ulcers, the glandular ulcers, gastrogard alone probably only results in healing in about one-third of them. So it's a pretty poor success rate 
So we have to consider some other things on top of that to help them heal. That's great, Sarah. Thank you so much for that uh, that summary and highlighting the complexity there of treating the separate areas and also highlighting why an accurate diagnosis is important because clearly the two regions are treated separately. Now, you mentioned pharmaceuticals. Are there any pharmaceuticals that might predispose a horse to equine gastric ulcers? Yeah. So there has been evidence that different NSAIDs or non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like phenylbutazone, nixin, banamine, or Prevacox, furacoxib, any of those can cause glandular ulcers. So it's not correlated with ulceration in the top of the stomach, but it's correlated with ulceration in the bottom of the stomach. It's not exactly understood why. There's lots of theories, but they don't know exactly why. And there actually was a study done, again, very recently, and they looked at three different groups. So they treated horses with nothing, with a placebo. They treated horses with just phenylbutazone at a high dose, four grams a day and for a, for a normal horse. And then they treated horses with a combination of bute and omeprazole. And they found that the horses given bute had the worst ulcers. They were worse than those horses that were given bute and omeprazole together. But the horses given bute and omeprazole together had other intestinal complications that were sometimes life-threatening. We really have to be judicious in our use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories because they can cause harm and there's no perfect recipe to prevent that harm. So you're saying that that horses that were fed oral bute and omeprazole had were predisposed to lesions in other parts of the gut that horses that weren't fed omeprazole concurrently with with their bute. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so I think it was all very surprising. I don't think that the study probably played out the way they expected it to. Yeah, Again, no we're using more bute than we would normally use in a clinical patient, which I think is significant sure in yeah, this yeah, case. But a few of the horses got really severe um, colitis, so really bad inflammation in their hindgut. And the horses that got the worst colitis were actually the ones that were given bute and omeprazole hmm. together. Oh, that is bizarre. Yeah. Hmm. You can theorize why maybe, but you have to remember that horses have a low pH in their stomach naturally, and that is a defense mechanism for them. So that actually kills bacteria. It's like their first line of defense against bacteria entering their digestive tract. And so if you raise the pH, some of those bacteria survive and they'll make it to the colon where they can maybe proliferate and cause bigger issues. We have to remember that all pharmaceuticals have potential side effects. If they have an effect, they can also have an adverse effect. That's amazing. That's very interesting. I have a a client question. I just made this one up. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Doc, can I get a tube of GastroGuard? I'm shipping my horse down to uh, Florida, and I I just like to give it before it gets on the trailer. Yeah, that's common. I think uh, a lot of horses get a bit stressed out when they're shipping. They they don't eat very well while they're they're trailering. And so people will elect to give them um, some GastroGuard to try and prevent the development of ulcers. I don't have a major issue with that. I think it could be beneficial. And it's been shown repeatedly that GastroGuard can help prevent ulcers as well when they go horses that are on low doses, even of GastroGuard. So I would just tell those people, you can actually give a quarter or a half tube the day before they ship and the day that they ship and maybe the first day they get there. And that should be enough to keep that pH in a safe level so they don't develop ulcers. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes uh, makes perfect sense to me. I think I remember in pharmacology them talking about how uh, omeprazole takes about three days to really have any effect. 
Yeah, they talked about, they said three to five when we were in school. And I was like, wow, sure. that's like a long time. Recent yeah. studies have shown that they've done a lot of pH testing of horses that have been given Gastrogard and they have not found that the same. So I think the day before is plenty, cool. may not even right. be necessary, but I do think horses know when you're about to leave and about to ship and they might get some anxiety even the day before they leave because they see you packing. And I just think they're smarter than we probably give them credit for. So I don't yeah, think there's no any harm in starting the day before. That's great. Perfect. I wanted to ask about, because we've heard about people treating their horses for ulcers using Pepto-Bismol. And I just wanted to ask your thoughts on that. Yeah, there's no known efficacy. And actually, Pepto-Bismol has an active ingredient called bismuth salicylate. And that is somewhat related to aspirin. So if you read the label on a Pepto-Bismol bottle, it's actually contraindicated. They advise against using it if you have gastric ulcers. So it's not something I use primarily to treat gastric ulcers in horses. That's great. Yeah, thank you very much for talking about that. We've talked about ulcers before yourself, and I was actually very surprised by that because I did not know. So thank you. I think that was something I took away from a previous talk. So thank you. You're welcome. So there's products on the market that may fall more under the nutraceutical brand or the sorry, the, the nutraceutical classification of medications. I'm thinking maybe calcium, like an oral calcium product, like second cut hay. There's also aloe vera juice that I've heard mentioned. Can you talk about some of these sort of more fringe treatments of equine gastric ulcer and and whether any of them have any, like a calcium supplement that's going to work kind of like Tums, but really how long does that last? You know, you've offered a buffer, but then at the same time, you've got this constant production of acid. How long could that really last for? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a massive market for nutraceuticals targeted at horses' gastrointestinal tracts. And I would say two things. First, one, a lot of these don't have any reputable studies. There's no randomized controlled clinical trials to show that they do or do not have an effect. And then number two, not all products contain what they say they do on the label. So we have to be really careful. And I think this is especially important for horses that are competing and maybe undergoing drug tests. Those horses, you have to be careful with those nutraceuticals because their guaranteed analysis is not perfect. And we could end up in trouble with a positive test with that product having something in theory that it shouldn't. But that said, there are lots of good nutraceuticals out there that people use. You mentioned aloe vera juice. That would not be one I recommend because there's actually studies showing that it doesn't really have a significant effect on gastric ulcers. Um, so I wouldn't prescribe aloe vera juice in my practice. There are products that are buffers, like you say, they're antacids. So they contain calcium and magnesium. They're very short acting, but there may be some positive effect if they're given right before exercising, right before they the horse um, works because it'll raise the pH at that point in time. And then that is maybe when they're getting the most splashing up at the top of their stomach or when they're the most stressed and maybe those glandular ulcers are, are developing. There is a product available currently only in the United States called Purina Outlast. And it is a product that was developed by PhD nutritionists to raise the stomach pH. And so it contains alfalfa, it contains calcium ingredient, and it also contains seaweed. And it actually works to raise that pH quite effectively short term. And it can be fed as a top dress on feed and it can also be fed as a treat right before you ride. And I actually believe long term that we should look at using 
some more natural products rather than using only products that are pharmaceuticals that actively raise the pH from um, a pharmaceutical setting, like affecting the proton pumps. I think we should consider management changes, which we can talk about other management things, but there are definitely products that make logical sense. The other product I would mention is a product I use quite a bit and in the own horse I ride is called Pronutrin. And it's a combination of pectin, lecithin, and glycerol. And it's given as a pellet, as a top dress, and it actually creates like a gel that coats the stomach to protect it. And it also binds some different acids in the stomach. So it will also help to raise the pH. So those are more natural ways of going about promoting gastric health that don't involve affecting the pumps in the stomach lining. Very cool. I think this kind of takes us into the direction of how are ulcers prevented? I think you and I would probably agree that when treatment is required, it probably makes more sense to go the pharmaceutical route initially, just because we have the evidence to support that. But then moving forward, let's say, for example, we do have a second scope to confirm that the ulcers have been treated. Moving forward, how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Yeah, absolutely. I'm asked that. I get to do a lot of follow-up gastroscopies on patients. And I really, I think it's wonderful because you can say, okay, they were there. Those ulcers were there. Now they're resolved. Now what are we going to do long-term for this horse? And I think there's a few different points that should be considered. One, try and evaluate maybe what potentially caused that horse to have gastric ulcers. In the case of squamous ulcers, is that that horse being exercised on an empty stomach? So can we give it a little bit of food, a bit of alfalfa hay, or just some hay in general to keep that splashing to a minimum before we ride? Do, you know, I know we keep them to have an empty stomach while we're treating, but when we're managing horses long-term, we actually don't want them to have a very empty stomach. So we want them to have access to hay or grass pretty much constantly and they can choose when not to eat and when they want to sleep, but constant access to forage is very important. I feel, and this is anecdotal, but there's some evidence to support in in large studies that maximizing turnout and access to grass is preventative for gastric ulcers. So I think horses without access to grass are going to have a harder time. You're going to have a harder time preventing ulcers in them. There's some studies that showed that horses that had access to fresh drinking water, both when they're inside and outside, had a lower risk of gastric ulcers. And there was a study showing that horses that actually had access to or were fed beet pulp had lower incidence of of gastric ulcers. We don't know why beet pulp would help, except it's got high fiber and it's also a high water content. So that those things might help them. And then glandular ulcers, I think one of the big components that we think plays a role, even though we don't know yet, is stress. So that would be different for every horse, what causes every horse stress. But I think considering some points like, should we include a day or two extra off a week? Or should we do some light rides, some hacking, change it up a little bit so they're not constantly being asked to perform? I think that might help these horses with really bad glandular ulcers. Correct me if I'm wrong, sir. I think beet pulp is fairly high in like uh, soluble fiber. Yeah, correct. So it might be similar in in how pronutrin works in the sense that you've got some sort of gelatinous fiber that that might have a bit of a coating effect. Just wondering maybe. Yeah, that's a very good proposition. Yeah. there. So I would say I also mentioned that in racehorses, their prevention tends to be treating with omeprazole, with Gastrogard. That tends to be their 
prevention of gastric ulcers, especially now that we know you can use a low dose, a quarter tube. And actually in Australia, they're using even the equivalent of one eighth of a tube to prevent gastric ulcers in racehorses. It's actually labeled for the prevention at that low a dose. And it works. And it, preve- it definitely helps prevent their ulcers. They did a big meta-analysis in 2018, looking at many studies and seeing if GastroGuard worked to prevent ulcers. It did. However, we have to remember that what I said before, that every pharmaceutical that has an effect also can have an adverse effect. And we don't understand yet what the use of long-term, like long-term use of proton pump inhibitors will do to a horse. But in humans, we see that they're predisposed to gastric cancers, that they're predisposed to kidney damage, they're predisposed to osteoporosis if they're on proton pump inhibitors long-term. So I don't know that I have the answer of whether or not we should treat long-term with GastroGuard, but I think if we have other ways to manage them, I think that might be beneficial. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And it really speaks to the idea that more regular follow-up on a gastroscopy probably makes sense because if we can monitor these things a little bit better, then we might have a better idea of what's working, what isn't working, and that type of thing. And realistically, the money you save on your, your long-term pharmaceutical mm-hmm. might otherwise be put towards periodic gastroscopy. Absolutely. And, and some of these horses will tell you. And there are some horses that are unhappy. They're not eating well. They're grouchy. They're girthy. And when they're treated, they're totally different. If you have a horse that's, that you can read like that, that's amazing. Then you know when they need to be treated. But some of these horses are much more stoic and, and hiding their clinical signs. And those are the ones that I think if they've had a history of it before, it might be worthwhile rescoping them if you have any question before just jumping to treatment. Sure. Absolutely. Realistically, how much does a gastroscopy cost these days? What's the sort of price range, Sarah? So it is around $500. We That includes the sedation. They're sedated a little less than we'd sedate them even for dentistry. So they're moderately sedated. And then the procedure takes about 30 minutes and we pass a very long scope, three meter scope down into their stomach and take a look around and then rinse off their stomach lining and it's not a massive outlay of time. The equipment is very expensive, unfortunately, and it's only, it's not offered everywhere because of the expense and availability of the equipment. So it runs around $500 to do that. Perfect. The good news is there's always new information coming out about gastric ulcers. Like we're always learning and it's not something we've stopped that learning on. I'm always learning. I'm always reading. And I'm like, wow, I didn't like that study is crazy. So like that omeprazole Butte study is new. And I read that. I was like, wow, like I, we think we're helping them. And then two of those horses did terribly. So we we thought that they were doing a better thing by giving them omeprazole. So sometimes, yeah, there's a lot of information out there and we have to be careful what we read, of course, and to make sure it's, it's accurate. Yeah, no, that's awesome though. I think it's neat that it's just a kind of continual thing um, that we can keep learning about. This is really great. I'm Mm -hmm. learning a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So what can you tell us uh, more about hindgut ulcers? Yeah, I get this question all the time. And I would say especially when the horses don't have gastric ulcers and you know, they want an answer. Like, what else could it be? Could it be hindgut ulcers? And we've ruled out squamous or in glandular ulcers. What about the hindgut? And hindgut would refer to colon and cecum. And I would say that we know that when we do postmortem studies, there's a fairly substantial proportion of horses, about 50 up to 60%, that will have some ulceration in their hind gut. We just don't have a way to diagnose it unless it's fairly advanced because we can't um, scope a horse's colon. We don't do colonoscopies in horses. And so we just don't know 
if they're there. So one, one thing for more advanced colonic ulcers would be in a case of right dorsal colitis. So those horses have severe inflammation of a portion of their colon called the right dorsal colon. And those horses tend to be very sick and they will have blood work changes. We talked about how you know, gastric ulcers and blood work changes don't really go hand in hand. But horses with ha- bad hindgut ulceration will have low protein in their blood. They'll have electrolyte changes. They'll often have a low white blood cell count. They will have changes that are consistent with protein loss into the gastrointestinal tract. So if I have someone that wants to know if their horse has colonic ulcers, then I will run some blood work. And the other thing I will do is I will do an abdominal ultrasound to look at the thickness of that colon wall. Because if it's normal, then it's pretty unlikely there are ulcers there. But if it's very thick or even immoderately thickened, then then that it can be very significant. So there are ways to look at them, but I think we don't have all the answers yet for hindgut. Very good. Yeah, I think the cases of acute right dorsal colitis are unfortunately blatantly obvious. I've seen a, a few cases over my career and they're terrible. Yeah. And it's those subclinical kind of cases that are really flying under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Sarah, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? I think that I am a little bit frustrated sometimes by ulcers in horses. And I think that it's reasonable that clients are quite frustrated when they're, when their horses either have ulcers or when they don't respond, especially those glandular ulcers, when they don't respond to treatment. And hopefully over time, we will get some more knowledge. There is an injectable form of omeprazole that we don't have available here right now, but one day, hopefully we will. And that might help us treat some of these ulcers a bit more effectively. So I I think there are good things on the horizon. And I, I keep reminding myself not to be discouraged and also always to look for the improvement in the horse's clinical signs. Even if we don't make their stomach look perfect, it's important to see how they feel clinically and if they're improving. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I remember when I was in my last year of vet school, I drew the short straw and ended up looking after uh, a couple of alpacas in the (laughs) the hospital. (laughs) And and one of them was being treated. They kick really quickly. That's the one one thing I learned about alpacas, like lightning. But but the other thing I remember was this one alpaca had these ambiguous colic signs and no one was really sure what was going on. Yeah. And I I remember we treated it with intravenous pentoprazole. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Pentoprazole. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Has that been investigated in horses at all? It's pretty much price prohibitive. It's so expensive. So we use it in foals sometimes that are are refluxing or yeah, you can use it in foals. It's just right now. Yeah. Great question. It's just not, we can't do it with the severe, like the huge cost of it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, I remember it was pretty slick, but yeah, yeah. Those are special alpacas. That's for sure. And and they also, they can't, you can't use Gastrogard or Omeprazole on them because they have a different, they have a three chamber stomach, which is different than the horse and it is not effective in them. So they, Pantoprazole is the only option for them. Gotcha. In humans, there is a infectious cause yes. of, of of ulcers, the uh, Helicobacter pylori. Is there such a an infectious ulcer in uh, horses at all, or has that been investigated? Well, it has been investigated um, in a couple different ways. They've looked at trying to culture a Helicobacter from horses' stomachs. They've not been effective in doing that. We we have not found anything like that in horses. And they've also tried treating, especially the glandular ulcers, similar to peptic ulcers in humans, with antibiotics, and that's not shown any increase in efficacy. So it doesn't seem like there is an infectious 
cause in horses, there are some very rare occasions where we do treat their ulcers with an antibiotic if there's some extenuating circumstance, but I would say it's incredibly uncommon and it would not be recommended right now because it's not a judicious use of antibiotics. We haven't found a cause causative agent that leads to glandular ulcers in horses. Perfect. Good. Got that crossed off the list. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Thank you so much to our esteemed guest, Dr. Sarah Shaw. We couldn't be more uh, appreciative uh, of you uh, joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. I find every time we talk, it's very educational. So thank you very much for being our our guest today. You're very welcome. Dr. Goldie and Karen, it's always a pleasure chatting with you guys. Sarah, if you want, do you want to leave some contact information if people had questions or anything like that? Um, Probably best they get in touch with you guys first and then through me. Ideally, I think with with most referral work, we usually contact their um, veterinarian, their primary veterinarian, and their primary veterinarian gets in touch with me. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Shaw. And thank you so much to all of our listeners. We really, really appreciate it. We know that 2020 has been a tough year and I hope everybody's hanging in there. Okay. And I wish everybody all the best for the upcoming year. Wonderful. Thank you guys very much. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.